In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. For many of us, the Holy Spirit is that elusive third person of the Holy Trinity. We might, as we have any sort of uh, theological conversation, uh, we might rather discuss who the Father is, or for what purpose did he send his Son to earth. However, I'm sure you well know that there are many who are absolutely fascinated by the Spirit, even others who would like to convince you that they are more spiritual than you. I'm sure you've heard of people who go around touting that they are spiritual, but not religious. One thing is certain of that crowd, any who claim to be spiritual, but not religious, do not confess Christ properly. You can be certain that spiritual people are not called by the true spirit, but possessed or influenced by an evil spirit. These are those who boast in themselves and make an idol of their denied religiosity. However, they in fact belong to a false religion. However, the true spirit doesn't boast in himself, but only in Christ. That is what Jesus asserts today, that the spirit of truth will take what is mine and declare it to you. The job or the work of the Holy Spirit is to declare to you all the works of Jesus. The true spirit is not an isolated character of one's own philosophy or lifestyle. He always operates from a Trinitarian framework. Again, Jesus, to his disciples, sets the post-resurrection, the post-ascension scene when he says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So true religion is a Trinitarian religion, not a self-made spirituality, whatever that means. But that doesn't stop us from wanting to be spiritual people. And actually, when understood appropriately, being spiritual or having a spirituality is godly. The question is to what spirit do you belong? And what is your spirituality anchored in, if not yourself? On the back cover of his very popular book, The Spirituality of the Cross, the Lutheran author G.E. Veith writes of his spiritual wanderings, drifting from religion to religion, church to church, until finally discovering the gospel. What I needed, Veith writes, was a spiritual framework big enough to embrace the whole range of human existence, a realistic spirituality. I found it in Christianity, a religion that is not about God as such, but about God in the flesh, and God on the cross. Now, we don't want to conflate or make too much of a thing of who the Holy Spirit is and what spirituality is for ourselves. That is to get off track. But it is, it is important to note this much. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us our spirituality. The Spirit is the one who declares to us who the Father is and why he sent his Son to earth. 
So in a strange turn of conversation, those that might be nervous about discussing the Holy Spirit, preferring rather to talk about the Father or the Son, they are in fact already speaking about the Spirit of God. So what I want you to see is that apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no knowledge or faith in Christ or our Father in Heaven. The Holy Spirit relates their work to us through the Word and the sacraments. How you know God and believe in Jesus is not by some mere chance or choice. Interestingly, our Gospel text today, the chapters of John 15 and 16, these are the very chapters that I commonly use in catechesis or what we call the What Do Lutherans Believe class. I use them to describe who the the Holy Spirit is to us. And what I have found, what I have found is that the common frustration as well as the common realization for those unfamiliar with scripture or Lutheran teaching is how unspiritual the Spirit is by their human standards. You see, the Spirit points to Christ, not to you, not to your works, nor your spirituality. The Spirit is not shrouded in a divine mystery too meta or too transcendent for us to comprehend. Where any necessary mystery concerning the Holy Spirit needs clarification, there is Jesus answering it or giving us understanding. Jesus reveals what we need to know concerning the Holy Spirit. Are there limits concerning uh, our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is? Of course. But they are not so limiting that we cannot understand who God is for us in the flesh and on the cross. And that is, in fact, the plain interpretation of Jesus' words today. That we would have a right understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, and that from him comes that great witness of Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is all about bearing witness to Jesus. To this end, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit by other names, most notably the Helper and the Spirit of Truth, since what the Spirit will provide is comfort and a true testimony, not of himself, but of Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is to comfort you with the true testimony of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection for you. To this point, we can see from our text that Jesus is well aware of the sorrow that wells up and fills the disciples' hearts. They are unwilling to say out loud what their hearts know to be true. Jesus is going to die. The context, the context of our gospel today is Holy Thursday. And the hour is at hand for the Son of Man to be handed over to those who will persecute Jesus and who will crucify Jesus the next day on Good Friday. The sorrow of the disciples is building and yet contained. However, it is ready to burst forth with total fear and chaos. So Jesus speaks to them a word. Jesus speaks to them a word of the Holy Spirit, whose ministry among them will bring peace to their sorrows, and in due time, boldness to their witness, and ministry, and Jesus speaks to them of the Holy Spirit that will even remain our hope to this very day. 
We might be tempted to believe the Holy Spirit is only a gentle spirit, but he is as full of conviction as he is this comfort. The Holy Spirit comes to testify to the truth, and that's truth with a capital T. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict the world for their unbelief, to which the scripture says plainly that this is the only unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. After all, the Father and the Son have designated that the Spirit gather us to Jesus through faith. St. John clarifies this point in an earlier chapter when he writes, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the Holy Spirit is not a mere feeling or a personal spirituality, or an object of our own convictions. Rather, his conviction is from above. He convicts us sinners to be righteous in Christ Jesus, or face the judgment that Satan has received. So there is an ultimatum that Jesus puts before us. Either we are convicted in our sins or judged from them. And either we are righteous on account of Christ's sake, or forsaking Christ, we present our own righteousness to God. The prophet Isaiah warned the world of such foolish righteousness, the kind of earthly righteousness that boasts before the Lord, that kind of hypocritical righteousness wickedly, that wickedly makes the Spirit of God into the spirituality of our flesh. Isaiah wisely warned us that we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So we all are in need of a new garment, new clothes that do not merely reflect our style, our spirituality, but instead cover the nakedness of our sinful lives. To this, the spirit of truth also comes, this time to comfort sinners with the garment of Jesus. You will note how on Holy Thursday, Jesus laid aside his outer garment to wash the feet of his disciples, and how that outer garment might be seen as a foreshadowing of the life Jesus will lay aside on the cross. And you will note how after washing them, he put his outer garment back on to foreshadow in what way he will raise himself back to life after his death. And you will note also how the soldiers cast lots to see who would have Jesus' garments after they had stripped him of them before his crucifixion. And you will also note how the garments that wrapped Jesus' dead body were left in the tomb after his resurrection. This is all to proclaim what kind of resurrection Jesus had mandated. A resurrection from the dead that does not call for him to be clothed in fig leaves or clothes made of animal skins. Rather, Jesus' resurrection is made in the image of God. Jesus wears the nakedness of Adam before the fall. He is adorned in a garment of pure and perfect flesh. It is the garment of the unashamed. But this flesh comes with the Spirit also. For St. Paul wrote, 
The first man, Adam, became a living being. The second Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. So the garment of Jesus that is declared to you from the Holy Spirit, it is the garment of holy baptism. As St. Paul writes, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. You have put on Christ. This is what it means for the Spirit to glorify Jesus, and likewise the Father, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit takes the unashamed, risen Lord Jesus Christ and declares him to you, wraps you in the garment of Christ, the garment of Jesus. So what you have from baptism is Christ's unashamed righteousness and resurrection promise. You are in Christ, pure and perfect. The day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost is not about the mighty rushing wind of the Spirit or tongues of fire, nor the tongues of men that proclaimed. Rather, the day of Pentecost is about who these men proclaimed. Today is about the Spirit that manifests Jesus to you in holy baptism, and that from your baptism you might remain unashamed in Jesus for the rest of your days. The spirit of truth would re- that the Spirit of truth would remain in you, glorifying God and declaring to others what is purely and perfectly yours in Christ, that you would bear the testimony of Christ's love and forgiveness, which adorns your body and your soul. Today is about what the church receives from putting on the garment of Jesus, which the Spirit declares to you. St. Paul frames this scene through the metaphor of marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is to say that she, meaning you, the church, might be pure, perfect, and unashamed for Jesus' sake. Today the Spirit continues to call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify you. Today the Spirit of truth will keep you with Jesus in that one true faith. Today, Pentecost Sunday, remains the marriage ring and Christ's word the promise that you are his cleansed and clothed church whom he loves forever. Amen.